2: I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week, I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. Now on the show today, we'll talk about a book that just might save your life. We'll talk to Air Force Special Operations veteran Dan Schilling.
0: What people do in the modern era is they disconnect from their intuition. They override it. single woman coming into my apartment complex at night, and some guy follows me and says, hey, let me into the apartment complex. I'm here to meet somebody. And you don't know them, and they give you the creeps. You don't want to override that just to be socially polite.
2: For over 30 years, Dan has conducted combat and clandestine missions around the world. We'll hear about his new book, The Power of Awareness secrets from the world's foremost spies detectives and special operators on how to stay safe and save your life we'll also talk about cyber crimes like the latest hack of the colonial pipeline
1: but the reality is that that's small potatoes compared to some of the other ones that are out there PNA financial it's a large insurance company they paid 40 million
2: we'll talk with jason crabtree an Army veteran and a former advisor to the commanding general of the U.S. Army Cyber Command, and is now the CEO of a firm on the front lines of defending American companies.
1: The techniques that these guys are using are the exact same techniques that the Russians used, you know, earlier this year and over the holidays.
2: First, let's start the show talking about medical marijuana and access and opportunities for veterans. On Sunday, June 27th, the veteran service organization AMVETS will host the inaugural Veterans Alternative Healthcare Summit. And the purpose of the conference is to inform veterans and their families on the potential benefits of medical cannabis and how they could potentially transition their experience in this expanding industry. Additionally, the conference will educate civilians and corporations on how they can support veterans and cannabis issues. The one-day virtual event will allow attendees to listen to discussions on the benefits of medical cannabis, understand the entrepreneurial opportunities within the industry, and speak with a variety of companies and representatives in the exhibitor area. Now for more information and to get registered for this event, just search Veteran Alternative Healthcare Summit. And you'll find the details in the AMVETS Facebook event page. Now also in the news lately are cyber crimes. The recent ransom attack on the Colonial Pipeline that shut down thousands of gas pumps all across the East Coast is enough to make everyone wonder, when will it happen next? and what can be done to stop it? And our next guest may have some answers. He's been an advisor to the commanding General U.S. Army Cyber Command after serving as a Ranger-qualified infantry officer in Afghanistan. He's got a degree in engineering from West Point and a Rhodes Scholar background with a graduate degree in AI-driven engineering design and optimization. And he comes to us today as the CEO of Complex Risk and Cybersecurity Specialist, an author, an inventor, Mr. Jason Crabtree. Jason, great to have you on the show.
1: Hey, great to be here, Phil.
2: Now, I'm a former Navy enlisted guy, and I'm just going to start off by saying, you know that background I just read? Wow. At any given moment, you were one of the smartest people in the country of Afghanistan.
1: Well, my father said that... uh I went to engineering school to learn how to make things harder. So I think uh, (laughs) the reality is that uh, it's more about what you get it done than than where you went to school.
2: (laughs) Amen. Amen, brother. And uh, what part of Afghanistan were you in? What fob?
1: Uh, So I was down in the Argandab. So down at the tip of the Horn of Panjoua in a cop down by Payne Calais.
2: And no doubt, uh, you know, saw some ODAs there, saw some interesting people, learned some exciting new things. And um, yeah, man, dealt with some danger. So, man, we cannot thank you enough uh, for that. And uh, as a Navy guy, most sincerely, I, you know, tip of the cap to all my Army brothers. Uh, let's get into this. Uh, scary. It's the world we live in. Colonial pipeline, solar winds attack. I mean, every time you turn around, cyber issues And there's been major broadcast companies that have fallen victim to this ransomware. Um, Share with me what I need to know about the escalation of these cyber attacks in the world we live in today.
1: Well, I think the key thing for a lot of people to realize about ransomware is that this has really been a long-term trend that's just continued and become a lot more visible as a result of the fact that these groups are starting to target the things that everyday consumers are actually paying attention to, right? Right. I mean, they went after our burgers, right? Is there anything more upsetting than that, right? Uh, And I I think the reality is that even during the middle of the pandemic, we saw major hospital systems ransomed and we didn't see the popular coverage that Colonial and JBS have driven. And I think in part, it's the shared experience that a lot of Americans looked out at the same time and had the same thought, had the same emotional reaction. It wasn't just a regional event but this isn't new. It's the same groups. It's the same attack techniques and they're just getting paid and they're using that to finance their own growth. Like any other sort of company or conglomerate, they've been able to monetize something and they're scaling it.
2: You said two really stark things right there. Um, one, they're getting paid and two, we sort of know who they are. Um, When you say getting paid, the majority of these ransom attacks, they get the money. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, so there are a lot of organizations that really aren't prepared to either defend against these things, so they don't detect them quickly enough to stop them before they get locked up, or they really may not be prepared to actually recover from them. And frankly, remember ransomware groups, in the same way that nobody wants to go knock off Fort Knox... They want to go knock off someplace that's a little bit of an easier sort of mark. Ransomware groups do the same thing on the Internet. They are looking for targets that have made fundamental errors in how they have configured their business to touch the Internet and are vulnerable. Or they're you know, doing things like phishing or spear phishing where they're getting people to click on stuff and download malware as an initial entry point. And then they, they do the same thing in both cases. They go straight for the keys to the kingdom in the network. They get administrative rights, and they use those keys to actually tell all the computers what to do. And if you have the keys to the kingdom, which we call domain dominance, which sounds sort of very military in, in nature, but uh, the, the domain is sort of proxy for the whole corporate network. But if you own the domain, you literally are the domain administrator. You can tell all the computers on the network to do whatever you want, including download the ransomware. And that's exactly what you see happening in a lot of these major, major breaches where they, they end up becoming really big loss events. Mm.
2: And I guess my specific question then is, more often than not, you're saying that companies end up paying to get these guys to release control?
1: Well, so some organizations can recover, and you've seen some great examples of that where folks have said, we're not paying the ransom, we're restoring from backups, we're going we're gonna to be successful in doing that. But remember, you know, a lot of the orgs that get targeted are the easier marks, and they probably don't have the the maturity to do it, right? So, Colonial Ransomware, right, 4.4 million dollar ransom. Department of Justice has actually been able to track that one down and recover about 2.3 million, which is a pretty big new development. But the reality is that that's small potatoes compared to some of the other ones that are out there. Wow. You had CNA Financial, that's a large insurance company. They paid 40 million in a single ransom. 40 million. And that's not even the biggest one that's been paid. So the reality is that there's more of these events that have hit the news. It's a lot of money and remember that this isn't one person attacking you. It's actually a whole sort of digital criminal supply chain where you've got different groups that actually have an affiliate network and there's actually sort of a supply chain where people look for vulnerable companies, there's people that attack those companies and get initial access, there's people that buy the initial access and gain those administrative rights, they, they get domain dominance. And then there's people who actually specialize in the extortion phase. And then there's people that specialize in basically cleaning or laundering that money, often delivered in cryptocurrency and figuring out a way to get it back to the people who started the whole thing. So this is a this is a mature global criminal Enterprise and, and a lot of these organizations are disproportionately based in areas like Russia. There is active sponsorship or certainly tolerance uh, and in some cases even encouragement uh, in places like Iran or North Korea as well.
2: Now coming up, we'll ask cybersecurity CEO and Army Cyber Command veteran Jason Crabtree what can be done about ransom attacks and what do we really know about who is behind them?
1: that clearance application form that had all your personal details on it, that was stolen and taken back to China in 2014, a big part of that attack. used the exact same techniques of Russia in 2020 and OPM in 2014.
2: Do we know sort of who many of the bigger players in this space are? Is there like the whiteboard like you see on all the cop TV shows with like the pictures of the people and the lines all drawn between on how they connect? I mean, do we know who these folks are or are we just in the dark globally?
1: I think the reality is there is a lot that the government knows and can bring to bear to have direct consequences. But this ought to be an area where internationally we can build a real coalition. Because these ransomware attacks are disproportionately focused on disrupting the economy. And most governments have a real incentive to not slow down the economy. Mm -hmm. The one thing I'll say is, remember for defenders, that the techniques that these guys are using to become the king of the hill, to become the domain administrator, are the exact same techniques that the Russians used when attacking Department of Treasury, Department of Justice, all of our federal networks that you saw in the solar winds breach you know earlier this year and over the holidays by the way for a lot of vets who had a security clearance that really personally invasive sf86 that clearance application form that had all your personal details on it that was stolen and taken back to china in 2014 from the office of personnel management a big part of that attack used the exact same techniques of, of russia in 2020 and opm in 2014 and ransomware attacks all the way in between. So this is something that we have to be addressing because it is a national security issue and it's not just limited to the economy. It's much more fundamental than that.
2: You mentioned there, we need, you know, allies and we need to look at this on a global perspective, but you also mentioned at the top there, the countries like Russia and Iran. And how are we supposed to, you know, develop a partnership with them? I mean, We can't because it's emanating from their country. We supposed to sit down with Vladimir Putin and say, hey, you got bad actors in your country. Can you help us bust them? There is no way that guy gives a rat's ass.
1: Yeah, I think this is an area where there's a lot that we can do with, I'll call it, legitimate potential partners. And I think you see some of that historically in cybersecurity, right? The Five Eyes countries, right? Uh, We're really the ones that that were a part of our intelligence sharing initiatives, maybe disproportionately. But listen, a lot of our NATO allies and others are great candidates for us to really go after these organizations with. And we all see different parts of the internet. Realistically, Iran and North Korea and others are going to continue to just try and monetize the internet as a way of funding other kinds of operations that they want at home and abroad. So let's not have unrealistic goals. but certainly. I think it's most productive for us to focus on global issues like ransomware, and I think that's much, much more important than sort of pretending that people are going to stop spying digitally.
2: What's the best way to reliably respond to major cyber intrusions?
1: You have to assume that you're going to be breached, and you really need to invest in rehearsing and practicing again and again your detection, your response, your incident response and investigative practices, right? So think about sort of the forensic analysis that happens, and then being able to use that information alongside your recovery plan to maintain continuity of operations, continuity of operations, continuity of operations. I mean, security is supposed to be boring, right? Good security is boring. Security is supposed to be a subset of reliability. And we, I think, have dramatized this stuff maybe too much historically because we've made ransomware actors and others out to be superheroes. I think the reality is these are folks that prey on weak corporates and weak government agencies that don't have security that's as good as it ought to be and they exploit the fact that they don't rehearse their fire drills, right? I mean this is this is very much the same. This is fixable.
2: Mm, that is so good to hear because you're right. I do tend to just consume what the media dispenses, and it's scary. It's scary stuff. And then you see the chain reaction from just a few weeks ago when it affects something like a pipeline, and then suddenly there's a run on gas, and then there's gas stations out of gas, and deliveries aren't being made. And and I think about what would happen if something similar were to affect a national power grid. I mean, can you imagine no power in a major metro and everyone inside that? Urban area, the downtown area starts going out to the burbs to get the groceries and the food they need, and then that ripple effect just keeps going out. And by the time you get out, you know, to the redneck part of the land where I live, you know, forty miles outside of major city like DC, you know, I've got neighbors thinking, well, gosh, we'll all have to start loading our thirty aught six and running guard and making sure they don't, no, you know, they don't come into our neighborhoods to get our stuff because people are going to be desperate if the power goes out. And if all that just sounds like a fictional movie scenario i ask you as a guy that has you know advised u.s army cyber command how close to that
1: are we it's a tough question and let me tell you why the reality is and a lot of my background actually was in power systems modeling so i used to specialize in critical infrastructure modeling and we still do a lot of work with uh strategically important financial institutions and uh other kinds of what we would call systemic uh risk organizations right so stuff you notice when it goes down. And I think the challenge is that our modern economy is this complex web of digital connections. And it's this dependence and interdependence that makes something like colonial so visible to a consumer. And that makes it so visceral when this type of outage occurs. But I, I think the other thing you have to remember is that colonial... And, and our power system and others, it's not just these, these are physical systems. These are commercial businesses. Colonial shut down the pipeline out of safety precautions, but also out of a really practical need to not give away free fuel. And it had to shut down when its accounting and billing system was incapable of knowing where the gas is supposed to go. Well, that's also true for power systems, for water systems, for lots of different things in our society where if you can't account for what you're going to do, you won't necessarily operate it. because as a business, you'd go out of business. And I, I think it's important for us to make sure that as we talk about you know the systemic risk, right? Or are we going to have a, a prolonged outage, a prolonged shutdown? That what we're really wanting to do with our businesses and our economy is make sure that we catch stuff fast and we make big events into small ones by hopefully catching them early and often. And then we also are trying to make sure that we notify people and that we have confidence that we'll be able to back up and and we've got backups and we can restore these systems quickly because that's going to help us alleviate the panic buying and all of the other behavior, which is human behavior that amplifies. What started as a sort of technical disruption and really turns into an economics, human and fear problem.
2: Are you certain or are you relatively confident that the major, those major grids that keep all of our lights on, are you confident that they're safe right now?
1: Well, so there are three major these sort of regions in the U.S. power grid, there's Texas, there's the WAC, and then there's the Eastern Interconnect. And those are the three major sort of zones in the United States. And oh, okay. So part of what you're you're seeing with these organizations is, you know, electricity moves to the speed of light and it's bouncing across all these regions. But each of those different groups is actually controlling how much energy gets generated and what its prices are in each of those regions. So it's very, very federated. So, you know, you're not going to have a single event that's going to simultaneously... Create sort of massive problems and contagion, but there are a lot of things that can get out of control quickly. When you look at like the two thousand three blackout report, right? Minor minor things can become major things. But you know, statistically, most outages are actually from things like squirrels, right? Or <laughs> uh, power lines that are impacted by trees. Uh, you know, that's a real it's a real statement. Squirrels are actually, uh, you know, in terms of likelihood, much more likely to cause an event than. Than uh, a a cyber attack, but what what you have to remember is that you know adversaries are smart too, and they're going to target us in at the right times in the right places to maximize the likelihood of success. They really want to do something, and I think thankfully to date people have been able to get paid, and it's better for criminal organizations to go get paid by knocking off folks that you know with ransomware. And I think most nation states recognize that would be a tremendous and terrific escalation, not espionage, but an escalation of, of conflict if they were going to directly attack those types of critical infrastructure assets with the purpose of shutting them down as a matter of intent. So, I, you know, I, I don't think it's pays to us to be sensational, but I do think that the status of the security programs and critical infrastructure are not at all what they should be in the United States and that we still live very much in a glass house. And in some ways, it's not even a glass house. It's a little bit of a glass jungle tower because you've kind of had these very evolutionary corporate networks that have just been built and built and built over time, and they've never really gotten the attention they deserve. It's not an IT problem. This is a leadership issue, and it's a core executive management issue, a core government leadership issue. Uh, we've got to stop treating technology and cybersecurity like it's something that the, that the, the geeks are going to go do in the corner.
2: Mm. Very sobering statement there. And thank you. It's not sensational what you just said, but wow, uh, is that is that definitely a cause for pause? Um, let's talk about complex. You're on the front lines of this with your company. You are doing things with cybersecurity. Share with me a little bit about what your mission is right now, and uh, just you know, a project you're working on, or 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 a way that your company seeks to make a material benefit to all of our lives.
1: Yeah. So we really started the company, and I started it with an Air Force Academy grad student that I met when I was at Oxford, and he ended up becoming one of the the key people for the Air Force cybersecurity and sort of network improvements that were going on when we were both in the service. And and so we sort of worked on the other side of the aisle, if you will, uh, when he was in the Air Force and I was in the Army. Um, And, you know, he and I both realized that this critical infrastructure inside global corporates and government agencies was really not well defended, right? And so what, what a lot of our organizations look like is sort of like an egg, right? Like a raw egg. You've got this really thin, hard shell And as soon as you get inside, it's just a big gooey mess and you can kind of go wherever you want. And so we have this this belief, frankly, that if you were going to make these events stop faster and sooner, you were really going to have to make it harder to go wherever you want after you got through the hard shell. You couldn't kind of build this elaborate Maginot line that said, you know, we're going to stop them at the gates. Because the reality is they're going to get someone to click a phishing link or they're going to have the HR team, you know, download a a resume and it's going to have some malware embedded in the PDF. And then they bypassed the Maginot line and they popped up in the middle of Paris, right? And so I think the reality of this is that this idea that you're going to assume that you're breached and then make sure you're catching stuff quickly and that you're remediating it and you're kind of constantly in the fight is really where cybersecurity is going. It's consistent engagement. This is not deterrence. Cybersecurity is all about consistent engagement, rapid detection, rapid response. And so we just started the business with the premise that that was really, really important. And we started with the premise that if we could help people put this in economic terms, that we could show them that if you, if you penciled it out, we could hit them in their wallet, that we thought we'd be a lot more successful by helping people build a financial case that this makes sense to do defense well and that's a big part of why we've been working in cybersecurity and doing some great work with in partners in cyber insurance and others to try and help people understand where it pays to improve their programs. And, and we think that, you know, ransomware is just showing people more than maybe anything has in the last decade that this is something that's too important to wait.
2: Very cool. And I appreciate you putting it in such layman's terms, an egg get through the shell And then the gooey mess inside versus trying to have maybe multiple shells in order to get to the yoke. You've got to get through several different layers of security, thus turning smaller or turning events that we see in the news when they get really big. Well, they stop at incremental levels when they're kept really small. Very cool. Um, Tell me more about how a company reaches out to you, what sort of services can you provide to, you know, small, medium and large size companies out there looking to up their cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, so, so complex is, you know, complexcom. QM, And I, I think, you know, our business, um, we work with some of the world's largest banks, technology companies, uh, professional services firms, and, you know, accounting and finance and legal, um, you know, manufacturers and others. And, and we work with companies all over the world, And the core of our capabilities are around catching people that create fake computer events. So computer logons. So if you think about all the people that work at your firm, or if you think about all the pieces of software that say, Hey, can I do this? Right. Every time you go send an email, every time that you send, uh, you go to a file share, you actually have to get a permission to do that. And we make sure that all those keys and credentials that are used or abused by hackers uh, are actually real. And for some of our really big corporate accounts, right? This happens a, a whole lot. Uh, we have individual clients that are operating in upwards of 70 countries. And some of those clients will have, you know, between, you know, their multi-hundred thousand pr- people of users, and they may have tens of thousands of, of sort of think of them as digital robots, right? Um, you know, software applications that are also requesting permissions. So we'll see sometimes upwards of 10 to 170,000 logon events a second that we have to make sure actually real and billions a day. Uh, to make sure that you know, they're not being taken over by somebody who wants to get the keys to the kingdom. And then we do a lot of work to help them integrate data sources. So you can kind of think of us a little bit like uh, the mixing booth uh, trying to you know, help the Super Bowl uh, replay go off without a hitch, right? You don't just want a camera on the 50-yard line. You want one overhead. You want one over in the end zone. You want one down on the, on the line so that you can actually blend those things together and get a real good picture about whether or not that, that touchdown really occurred
2: outstanding jason crabtree that's the second incredible analogy that you just made awesome sense to me i'm a guy that couldn't understand half of what you do but i'm damn glad that you do it and uh, you make it sound really simple uh appreciate all of your service appreciate everything you do uh as the ceo of complex that's a complex spelling but it's q o m p l x Uh, former advisor to US Army Cyber Command Jason Crabtree. Ranger, lead the way, sir. You are in every sense of the word. I appreciate what you're doing out there in the cyber world.
1: The one additional thing I think that people should know is don't reuse passwords. Remember that a lot of attacks, like even the colonial ransomware breach on the pipeline, started with someone who'd reused a password that became available and that became the point of entry into a very vulnerable system that was connected to the internet and and that was how they got into this legacy virtual private network provider on the edge of their network and that became the entry point for ransomware actors so it's really important for consumers not just at home and at work but you know use a password manager don't don't share that stuff around
2: Wow. So don't revert back to a previously used password. I would have never thought to do that because, you know, it's always annoying to the consumer, right? Like every three months or something, you got to reset your password. And sometimes you add an extra special character to it, or sometimes you change the upper or lower case. But then sometimes you're kind of out of combinations you think you can memorize. So you go back to a previous one.
1: Huh? Yeah, absolutely. One of the best things that you can do, Phil, and anybody can do to improve their own security is... Get a password manager, use it, use it at home, use it at work, never reuse them, unique for everything, and make sure that multi-factor authentication is turned on. That doesn't stop everything by any means, but it's the two most practical things you can do, and it'll help your employer, it'll help everyone. Um, so that, that's one big thing that we can take off the table, and it just requires a little bit of attention.
2: Hmm. And in your experience, any recommendations on password managers to use? Because, I, I, again, I go out there. If I were to Google that, I'd see like 20 ads. I wouldn't know which one's which. Uh, (laughs) You're talking about like a software service that I just simply subscribe to, and it keeps all my jazz up in a cloud. And then when I go to fill in...
1: I personally think that, you know, there's some good companies like 1Password and others that are out there. There are several options, but, you know, 1Password or companies like YubiKey that provide some physical tokens that can help you as well. But, you know, you don't have to, there's a number of good options, but I think that the reality here is if people do that, it's going to have a real demonstrable impact on their own security profile, and it's, it's an easy thing to do. One of the things that Complex owns is we actually have one of the largest breached password databases in the world, and we actually use that to monitor for passwords that bad guys are reusing. And because we have billions and billions of passwords that have been lost in some of these prior breaches, it allows us to actually start looking at where those types of credentials are trying to get stuffed in to different kinds of clients' websites, and we help them actually stop that stuff by gauging uh, where their, their people are, are, you know, having dangerous security practices for exactly these reasons. Wow.
2: Mind blown. So, like a previously stolen password shows up and gets keyed in two years later on the interweb somewhere in the world by someone, and your system can detect that. Whoa,
1: crazy! Well, so no, so we—it's not—it's not quite that simple. But we, we keep track of them and we use that information to inform companies on how to drive password resets and hashing and other pieces. So, oh, it's not—not—it's okay. not, not, it's not quite where you took that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But in my mind, it's still just, I mean. That it
1: might, would be pretty cool, though. Um, I mean, it's still. It's not, like, it's, not, it's not quite that much magic.
2: In my mind, it's like your office is like desks, computers, uh, unicorns, clouds, and rainbows. All just walking on this like magical glowing surface that is some sort of like cybersecurity office. Um <laughs>
1: Uh, I I wish no uh, no unicorns in here. It's uh, it's you know back to my other comments. Series mostly supposed to be boring, right? A uh, good series supposed to be boring.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover inside the house there were bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true.
1: I am just praying to God, this is a
0: sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.